my personal experience with pancreatic cancer is I reset my career into healthcare and patient advocacy after my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and I experienced that as a family member watching that take place and realizing all the places where we can get better at diagnosing and treating the disease. This is the first line of defense, primary care clinicians and early detection of pancreatic cancer. This podcast is brought to you by the Kenner Family Research Fund, focusing on collaboration and information sharing as a way to make earlier interception of pancreatic cancer a reality. It is critical for us primary care clinicians to keep at the forefront of our mind pancreatic cancer when people present with this constellation of potential symptoms and risk factors. I'm Dr. John Hallberg, a professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Minnesota Medical School. I'm also a clinician and the medical director of the University of Minnesota Physicians Mill City Clinic in Minneapolis. So in primary care, we're always talking about preventive medicine. You know, we want to prevent things from happening. And when we can't prevent something from happening, then it's all about detection. And when we're talking about detection, we want early detection. And really, we want the earliest possible detection. My personal experience, my father was diagnosed in the early 2000s. So he actually presented with jaundice, but had been losing weight. My name is Willie Hoos. I'm advisor to the Kenner Family Research Fund, and I have been working in patient advocacy for the last 10 years in pancreatic cancer. The jaundice is a relatively late event as the tumor grows enough to block the output from the liver and causes backup of the, the bile, and then that causes the jaundice. So he was fortunate enough where his tumor grew in a place that blocked that flow early. So he got jaundiced and turned yellow really quickly and was fortunate enough to have surgery and caught it early. But back in that era of treatment, the, the treatments still weren't good, and even that early diagnosis didn't have a as good of an outcome as it does today, making the early detection even more important than it was back then. My father liked to tell the story about they, they lived in a small town in South Carolina. He had the surgery done at a large center back up in Chicago where they had where we had all grown up. And Six months after, he's walking through the small town in South Carolina, and he ran into the physician who had diagnosed him, and he said, you're still alive? And, you know, that's not the, the comment you want from your physician, right? But I think that was 20 years ago. 20 years out from my, my father and 20 years into the future, I have a lot of hope. I mean, I think the outcomes have been improving. The prospects are, have improved the last 20 years having the Kenner Family Research Fund and PANCAN and all the researchers who are working on early detection, the fact that, that those efforts are going and there's progress being made, that's, that's more than hope. That's, that's evidence of progress. And I think it has the opportunity of, of, of accelerating and really finding some things to implement soon. 
Here's Dr. Suresh Chari to speak more on the future. At this point, that's the biggest hurdle we have is so what? What is the advantage of finding pancreatic cancer in this patient? You're not going to be able to do anything for him anyway. So that nihilism about pancreatic cancer is the other piece that, that makes it harder. My name is Suresh Chari. I'm a gastroenterologist with an interest in pancreatic diseases. I started my career at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester and spent 20 years studying the connection between diabetes and pancreatic cancer and have continued to have an interest in early detection of pancreatic cancer. For the past three years, I've been at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas and continue my work on early detection of pancreatic cancer. We believe that the earlier you diagnose pancreatic cancer, the more therapies the patient can get and the more likely the patient will do better. And there's enough data to support that. The mindset regarding the dismal outcome of pancreatic cancer also needs to be worked on and, and education has to be there to bring home the point that early detection will lead to better outcomes. The goal of early detection initiative that is sponsored by Pancreatic Cancer Action Network is to show that intervention in nuanced diabetes will detect pancreatic cancer early. And the interventions that are used in early detection initiative, I'll call it EDI for short, are first the application of the NPAC score. The NPAC score stands for Enrichment of Pancreatic Cancer in Nuanced Diabetes. And the score is based on the person's weight, the rate of rise of A1C or glucose, and the change in the weight of the patient. Using these three parameters, a score is calculated. And the first intervention in EDI is to stratify patients based on their NPAC score. The second intervention is a CT scan. And so those who have a high NPAC score are invited to undergo a CT scan. And the goal of EDI is to show that if you take patients with nuanced diabetes, apply the NPAC score, and those who have a high NPAC score, if you do a CT scan, you can detect pancreatic cancer earlier than would otherwise happen. It's especially important in pancreatic cancer to identify it early because normally, unfortunately, by the time it's identified with the vast majority of people, it's too late. Hi, my name is Scott Nelson. Early detection is key with pancreatic cancer because if it's not caught early, it, it involves itself with other organs in the body and makes it impossible to have the surgery. And the only way you can really get rid of pancreatic cancer is through surgery. So the whole goal is to get to the tumor to the spot where you can have the surgery. And if you don't catch it early, it's incredibly difficult to do that. And that's why the survival rate is so low for pancreatic cancer currently. I believe it's 12%. The biggest question is, if we remove the cancer and develop a vaccine to the cancer and give it back to the patient, then can we prevent the cancer from coming back? And there has been a paper in Nature which just does just, just that. Um, the company that developed the COVID vaccine 
developed an mRNA vaccine for pancreatic cancer and it applied to 16 patients and half the patients, it made it a huge difference in terms of uh, recurrence of the cancer. So I think there is tremendous potential in vaccines for prevention of recurrence of pancreatic cancer. The question of vaccines for prevention of development of pancreatic cancer in the setting of high-risk patients, that is another area that would have to be looked at. It's just that the number of cases of pancreatic cancer that occur in familial setting is not very high, so to prove the efficacy will need a large number of patients. But there again, there has been preclinical work in that area suggesting that vaccines would help. It's just bringing it to uh, clinical use. There was a paper in Nature Medicine which used AI on electronic medical records and came up with a approach that identified high-risk patients. So there's a novel high-risk group identified through AI that, if validated, would be uh, something like nuance of diabetes. It would be another uh, high-risk group. Finally, in finding the lesion, there are now a number of groups looking at these so-called negative CT scans. Like six months before the cancer, the pancreas appears normal on CT. But uh, an AI technique called radiomics can be applied to this pancreas. One of the big applications of AI is in the field of radiomics, which is a science of applying artificial intelligence to images obtained through CT scans or MRIs or other imaging techniques. And there was a study from Mayo Clinic which showed that all the CT scans that had a negative CT, the AI or radiomics could pick up almost all of those cancers using radiomics. So AI appears to have a role in almost all aspects of early detection. And we believe that all of these will come into fruition sooner or later and will advance the field. The CT scan captures a lot of details about the the physics of whatever it's imaging beyond what the eye can see. And for example, the texture, the, the number of characteristics within that image that are not necessarily captured by the human eye, but are available as data in the images of the CT scan. Now, this machine uses those pieces of information and it is taught that this is pancreatic cancer, this is chronic pancreatitis, and this is normal. So it sees those same features in these various diagnoses and then it uses those, all of those features and says, okay, I can tell this apart from this. And so it's using information that is not necessarily visible to the human eye, but is present in that scan itself. And it then hones in on an area and says, okay, this looks like pancreatic cancer. And the beauty of that study was that at the time, six months before, when you can't see anything, it's able to tell you here is a cancer, and the cancers occurred exactly in the same spot as where the AI picked it up. Fascinating to see that it picked up the exact location where the cancer was subsequently seen. So we really believe that it is able to do it. So this is an exciting development that the enhanced CT scan images 
are very going to be very useful for early detection. We also don't recognize that AI is also being used by biotechnology companies and by biomarker development companies to develop the algorithms for the biomarker itself. And so there is hidden applications of AI in biomarker development. Here's William Hoos to speak more on biomarkers. A biomarker is something in the blood or in some other part of the body that can be measured that would show signs of the tumor. So a direct evidence that the tumor is growing and shedding DNA into the blood, for example, or changes in the the body's immune system that might show a pattern that there's a there's been exposure or ongoing tumor that's that's perhaps growing. Some of the tests that are out there are looking at DNA or changes in DNA in the blood and looking for evidence that the cancer, pancreatic cancer, exists. Studies like the Early Detection Initiative's ongoing study, that will show what combination of biomarker, blood-based tests, and imaging can help find the tumors earlier. So the techniques for actually finding the tumors is increasing. There's now several diagnostic tests that are in various stages of being proven to help identify a cancer earlier. Some of those are already available and others are becoming available or being better validated every year. So I think there's a real opportunity to have a a blood test and a diagnostic workup that becomes much more systematic and much more accessible. A comment about where the biomarkers might fit in a diagnostic strategy is no biomarker is perfect. So there's always some amount of false positive or false negative, meaning there's a chance that if the blood test shows that you have a risk of the cancer, there's still a chance that that biomarker was giving a signal that was based on some other thing that wasn't cancer. So nothing is going to be perfect. But when you start combining something like new onset diabetes, which in one way is high glucose being a biomarker that's not just from pancreatic cancer, it can be from other things. But then when you combine that with something else, DNA that matches a pattern of of pancreatic cancer more so than an average diabetes case, that's the type of combination of things that will increase the ability to find the the pancreatic cancer early. So five years from now, I think the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, it is healthcare. Stuff can move a little slower than we all want. So five years seems right around the corner. But so five years from now, the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, I think, is going to be much more data-driven and informed. And I think I believe that the new onset diabetes study by EDI will have results showing that looking for new onset diabetes and looking for weight change combined with either a blood or urine test and a scan will be a very reliable way to diagnose a significant portion of pancreatic cancers earlier. 
I hope that that algorithm of looking for diabetes, looking for weight change, awareness of the other symptoms, and having some of these biomarker blood tests available, I think in the next five years, all of those tools will be much more available and top of mind for clinicians to use routinely. And that will have a dramatic impact on the, the portion of pancreatic cancers that we can diagnose earlier and get better outcomes because of it. clinician side, yeah, it seems so simple. You just deeply listen and you, you, you read the room and you read the patient, but we all know that's not that easy. We're distracted. We're human. You wish that everybody had the time and, you know, to just sit and listen and isn't completely distracted by typing on the keyboard and, you know, entering things in the electronic record. And that's not always the case. ERs are chaotic places. Clinics can be chaotic places. But it's on us. We have to figure out. And when I knock on that door, you know, when I go see somebody behind that exam room door, it's like theater, right? Curtain up. I, I have to put whatever's on my mind aside and be present and really listen to this patient that's in front of me. And I think if we all did that, if patients sought care when they needed care and the clinicians you know, were there to help them and listen and you know, it's a little bit of a detective novel, a little detective work that we have to do, put that hat on and, and we can solve this. It actually is fairly simple, and that is you listen. You need to be deeply listening to your patient. I know this is hard in chaotic settings, but you need to read the room. You need to read the patient. You need to read the family. Are they in distress? Is there a look of fear on their face? They know themselves better than anyone else knows, and if they're telling you that something is wrong, you need to listen. And then you need to look, and you need to look at the body language. You need to look at the eyes, look at the skin, do your exam, get your lab tests, if necessary, get the imaging, and it comes together. I mean, it sounds so simple, and I know it's not, but I think that we just need to be present. And this is why I love primary care. It's why I love family medicine. I, you know, in my better days, I say that I get paid to listen to stories. But by listening to stories, you make diagnoses and you make connections. We've heard a lot about important research in the field, but it really comes down to listening to the patient. Primary care clinicians have an important role to play, but it's not easy. Thank you for listening to this episode on how pancreatic cancer screening is being transformed. There is hope for the future of early detection with biomarkers and AI. Not only is early detection increasingly more feasible, it makes a significant difference in survival. In the next episode, we will hear a conversation with Chris Sander, a computational biologist based at the Dana-Farber Cancer Center and Harvard Medical School. He explains his research on how AI and machine learning are being used to help with early cancer detection. Thank you for listening to The First Line of Defense, Primary Care Clinicians and Early Detection of Pancreatic Cancer. All initiatives led and supported by Kenner Family Research Fund are focused upon strategic and collaborative innovation. 
Significant advances are realized through the sharing of knowledge, ideas, and resources of multiple individuals, institutions, and funding entities. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent that of their places of work or any affiliated entities. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. It is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Neither KFRF nor any of the experts included in this podcast shall be held liable or responsible for any errors or omissions on this podcast or for any damage you may suffer as a result of failing to seek competent medical or health advice from a professional who is familiar with your situation. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having.